The Holy Gospel according to John from the sixth chapter. Jesus said, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, for this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Finally, at the conclusion of this long discourse in the Gospel of John that we have been hearing now for five Sundays in a row, Jesus' disciples declare what many of us may have been thinking all along. This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? For us, the difficulty may come from the way that Jesus has talked over and over again about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. No matter how much we love metaphors, this one is just hard on our ears. However, as hard as those words and images are to accept, I don't think that they were the ones that were the stumbling block for the people around Jesus in this gospel story today. When Jesus asked them, does this offend you? I think he was actually zeroing in on the most difficult part of his teaching that day, the part of his teaching that had already pushed many people away. It was crystallized in the statement that he made right before they voiced their loudest objection in the story today. Speaking about himself, Jesus said, this is the bread that came down from heaven. In other words, Jesus was claiming a unique and special unity with God that could not be dismissed. And if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you'll recognize this as the same radical claim that the evangelist made about Jesus in the very first verses of his Gospel. In his unique way of introducing Jesus to us, St. John says, in the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek term that John used over and over again for word is the Greek word logos. Jesus, he said, is the divine logos that became flesh and that dwelt among us. And now in this gospel story that we just heard, Jesus puts that same important word now in the mouths of Jesus' disciples. We don't recognize it because our English text that we heard translates their saying as, this teaching is too difficult. Who can accept it? But what happens when we understand what they were really saying in Greek? What's translated for us as teaching is still the word logos that John uses to describe Jesus. They are really saying this logos is difficult. Who can accept it? And for me, that way of hearing makes me think that John wants us to see that the real scandal for them in all of this is Jesus himself. It seems in the end that Jesus is just too difficult for them, too hard to accept. I trust that most of these disciples, or perhaps all of them, accepted the initial call to follow Jesus with a genuine desire, like almost all of us, to abide in him. But along the way, Jesus continuously raised the bar for them in ways that challenged them to reorient every part of their life. To abide in him, they learned, was to abandon their current way of seeing the world around them so that they could rediscover the expanse of nature of God being revealed to them in Jesus. To abide in him meant restructuring all of their relationships and rethinking their values in light of his radical call to love their enemies, to turn the other cheek, to walk the extra mile, to sit at the foot of the table, to forgive and forgive and forgive, to deny the selfish part of who they were, and even, even to take up a cross. No wonder they thought it was difficult. It would have been a lot easier, of course, if they could have chosen which part of that logos they could accept. It would have been much more doable if they could have accepted some of Jesus and not all of him. But his words left no room for that. In their mother tongue, which they understood, I'm sure, very clear here, flesh and blood usually referred to the whole person. We might compare it to words in our English language like body and soul. If I say, I love you, body and soul, you know that I'm saying that I love you with my entire being. In other words, I don't think Jesus' disciples were metaphor challenged here, like maybe some of us are, or that they were put off by the graphic nature of Jesus' words. I think they were frightened. 
frightened by the fact that Jesus was calling them to take in every single part of him without picking and choosing. And when I let those words address me in the same way, I can understand why they said what they said. Taking in all of Jesus without picking and choosing has to be the greatest challenge that any person could face. And if truth be told, I think there is something in all of us that wants to run away from anything as demanding as that. The way we cope, I guess, is to keep living as if we could have it both ways. And when I say that, I'm not just pointing the finger at other people. In fact, I would say that my whole life of faith has been lived in that place of tension between wanting to be all in when it comes to following Jesus and wanting to protect many parts of my life from him and his radical teaching. But that can't be what God wants for me or for any one of us. And we should know that from our own human relationships. We all know, for example, what it is like when someone is only partially invested in a relationship with another person. No matter what side of that equation we have been on, we know what it feels like. Even when we look at our best relationships we have in life, we know what it's like when we hold back a part of ourselves or when we fail to embrace our loved ones in all of who they are. When we are not all in, there's always something that's lost in a relationship, something that diminishes what it can be for us. Thankfully, the God that we meet in Jesus is a God who holds back nothing, nothing when relating to us. In Jesus, God is all in. The big story that John tells about him is not the story of a person who loved some of the people he met. It's not a story about a person who showed mercy most of the time or a person who usually felt compassion. It's not a story about a person who tended to forgive or who frequently displayed kindness. Instead, John tells us the story of a person who was so filled with God that he loved all people unconditionally all the time and that he never ceased to show mercy and compassion and kindness. In Jesus, we meet a person who forgives without limits and who enters fully into the suffering of other people and of the whole human family. In Jesus, we see a person who risks everything to pursue God's dream of justice and of peace, even to the point of death on a cross. One of the best examples of this came in the night in which he was betrayed, the night before his execution. If there was ever a time to soften this stance, 
to scale back his commitment, to withhold some of himself, it would have been that night. If there was ever an opportunity to draw the line at finally on mercy and forgiveness, it would have been in that upper room where Jesus gathered with his disciples who would soon run away, deny him, even betray him to his enemies. But even then, Jesus was all in. What I am giving you, he said, is my whole self, flesh and blood, so that you might continue to live and to have life in me. It, is, it gives us courage to trust that as we come forward again today to this meal, to eat his flesh and to drink his blood, that Jesus is not here to forgive or to love part of who we are. In coming to this table today, you can know that Jesus is here to forgive all of your sin. That he is here to love all of who you are. You can be sure that he is not here to just forgive some of the things that you bring to this place or to tell you that you have a pretty good chance of entering into his kingdom. Instead, Jesus is here to enfold every part of you in his grace and to draw your whole self, flesh and blood, into the life that begins here and continues into eternity. The risk that God takes, of course, is that you and I will never be all in when it comes to the love that we return to God and to our neighbor. The risk is that we will continue to live our whole lives in that space between wanting to follow Jesus and wanting to protect what our hearts desire. Indeed, the risk that God takes is that we might actually leave this relationship altogether because we find that it is just too difficult. Thank God for Peter, who says in this text what I feel in the deepest part of who I am. When Jesus gives him and the others complete freedom to walk away without any judgment, Peter comes up with the words that describe why I am in church today, why I am standing in this pulpit, why I keep trying, keep trying to live my life in Christ in spite of all my failures. It almost gives me goosebumps every time I hear it or say it or sing it. Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Thanks be to God. Amen. If you have prayer cards, just please hold them up and the ushers will collect them.